Shavuot is a very interesting holiday. I, I like to refer to it as the Rodney Dangerfield of Jewish holidays. Okay? Uh, why do I say that? You know, the older that I get, the more I have to explain that. Uh, and uh, what that means is, it is a holiday that doesn't get the respect. You know? It, it is a, think about it. Think about it. Passover, Hanukkah, Purim, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot. We know what we do on all those holidays. And, you know, we have, we have special dinners and, and carnivals and gift giving and repentance and sukkahs. And then there's Shavuot, Shavuos, right? I, uh, I, I was looking at some of uh, my older uh, messages on here. So I have one that begins, uh, you know, it's Shavuot, the stores are closed. It's Shavuot, it's time for gift giving. It's Shavuot, carnivals, Shavuot, meals, seders, and, and everything else. Uh, and uh, frankly, I'm telling you, for most of us, most Jewish people and everybody else, if uh, you took a poll and said, well, what is the thing you do on Shavuot? Like, you know, you, you build a sukkah, you have a seder. Most people say, I, I'm not quite sure what we do on Shavuot. Well, maybe we stay up all night, you know? So it's a great night for Waffle House on, uh, on, you know, on Shavuot, right? That, that kind of thing. Well, what do we do? Well, it's very interesting. Uh, Shavuot is a holiday uh, where a number of, there's different layers of it. There's the biblical meaning of it, okay, which is rooted in agriculture. Then there is a historical meaning that has been given to it, and that is the receiving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. And then, of course, as a, a Messianic Jewish community, there's another layer, and that is a very clearly in the Brit Hadashah, a historical event uh, that took place on Shavuot. Uh, in the context of the coming of the Messiah. Uh, so there are uh, different reasons to, uh, to celebrate it. But what do we do on this holiday? So what do we do? Well, traditionally, what we do on this holiday, uh, frankly, is I uh, plant flowers. When I was uh, growing up in our synagogue, Shavuot was the holiday when you would uh, spruce up the, the outdoors uh, of the synagogue in a remembrance of the agricultural meaning, the, the relationship to the land and that, that kind of thing, uh, 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 planting, uh, planting flowers. Uh, and even uh, I remember at home, uh, my father, who grew up in the Bronx, never got over the fact that, wow, now he actually had green grass and lawn and shrubs, so... Uh, my dad loved, it was like going to the park, walking out the back door, you know, in my house. I although I don't think I was ever able to walk on the grass till I was about 17 years old. But that's a whole other story we can talk about it someday. But um, I, I remember on Shavuot, uh, I, uh, you know, springtime, right? Springtime, planting flowers and, and things, uh, things of that nature. Then also, there is a particular dairy, we dairy on on Shavuot. Why do we eat dairy? We eat dairy uh, because uh, there's two traditional reasons. Uh, one is uh, that uh, Israel, uh, the land is called the land of milk and honey. So that's one reason. And then there is a verse, a couple of verses here and there 
uh, where the Torah is referred to as milk. Uh, and so blintzes is a uh, cheese blintzes uh, is a traditional meal. You're saying, what is that? You know, uh, it's like a crepe, sort of. You ask somebody, uh, uh, well, maybe not somebody nearby you sitting, but uh, after the service, uh, if you don't know what that is, somebody can explain it. So dairy, dairy, dairy types of uh, food. Uh, so uh, when you combine that and the giving of the Torah, you have dairy and davening. Isn't that great? Uh, you know, uh, the uh, spiritual element of the Torah and the spiritual element uh, of the land comes together on this uh, holiday. In fact, uh, there is an online uh, Jewish uh, magazine called Tablet, and maybe some of you are familiar with it. So, uh, a woman by the name of Sarah Marks uh, wrote an article called Toil and Text, The Twin Gifts of Shavuot. Right? It's a really great article, and I won't read, uh, obviously won't read the whole thing, but uh, it really is, uh, if you have the opportunity, just go online, tablet. If you, first of you Google tablet, you're just going to get like advertisements for tablets, okay? But if you put tablet and Jewish, you'll get this magazine, and you can find this article. So uh, this is a Jewish girl that grew up in a, a very normative Jewish experience, never really relating much to the Bible, until she worked on a farm. Uh, so uh, it was, uh, it's very interesting. I'm just going to read a little portion uh, of this, okay? All right. So uh, she says uh, about herself, all right, I, uh, regarding the Bible, she says, uh, if even five years ago I had heard that someday I would talk earnestly about God's presence in the world, I might have laughed. I was raised in a culture that didn't tend to use that kind of language. A well-educated, politically conscious East Coast suburb who didn't grow up that way, right? You know, okay. Like many American Jewish kids, for better or for worse, I grew up in a community that prioritized social justice and Jewish peoplehood over traditional modes of ritual and belief. Although I didn't receive a particularly thorough Jewish education, I went to shul about once a month for most of my teenage years, an experience that was sometimes beautiful, sometimes meaningless. meaningless. I loved the familiar melodies and insightful English readings. I didn't much comprehend or appreciate anything else. In my free-spirited, open-minded community, I was given the opportunity to question everything, an attitude at once thrilling and dangerous for a child. There were so many elements of Jewish life that I never learned, and so many others that I dismissed without a second thought because I didn't have the tools to evaluate them properly. Oh, I could give a whole sermon on that. Okay. Having never read Jewish texts, I assumed that they were primitive and irrelevant, that we had moved away from them for a reason. By that time, I became a bat mitzvah, and I was an unshakable atheist. I was an indoorsy, almost pathologically so. In keeping with my vaguely goth-inspired fashion sense, I joked to my friends that sunlight would turn me into ash. It took routine acts of Herculean will to get me out of the novel I was reading off the couch and onto my feet. Even in high school, when like most confident D.C. area teenagers, I found myself absorbed in politics, my activism 
more often than not, took place online or between the pages of a book. This tendency reached its extreme in my freshman year of college, when my days were spent discussing philosophy under fluorescent lights, drinking too much, and getting cookie crumbs all over my complete works of Plato. Okay, I read all that to be able to say that last sentence. Okay, now. All right, so then she talks about having this opportunity uh, to go to Vermont for a summer to work on a farm, all right? And, uh, and she talks about uh, this, uh, this transformation, uh, about uh, something uh, uh, took place in her life. The, she says, maybe it was my body taking charge for the first time, forcing me toward the fresh air and exercise that I had worked so hard to avoid. Uh, maybe it was something more primal than that, the basic longing, as Maimonides describes, to see nature and interact with the world. So she has this experience. Then she goes back to school, and she's taking a literature course, and what is the assignment? Read the book of Genesis. Okay? Uh, and, uh, and so she talks about the stories were laden with slices of agrarian life. Isaac waiting for Rebecca in his field in the early afternoon. Jacob tricking Laban by uh, means of a flock of sheep. Ruth scooping up bunches of golden grain in the afternoon breeze. Uh, so it says, they provided me with language to talk about the divinity that I'd found imbued in the natural world. A language that evokes God through physicality and relationships, through fruit trees bearing fruit and fathers and kings and whirlwinds in the desert. That trains us to recognize the order of creation in our own fields and backyards. Most powerfully, they presented a theology tied inextricably to land, and not an abstract spiritual realm, but a particular land with particular history, botany, and collective memory. Okay, that's all I'm going to read. So that's a great uh, story there about this uh, young lady's journey of tying together uh, God, the invisible God of Israel, you know, and knowing him and relating to him, and the land. And that is what Shavuot really gives us. It, it marries together, it probably better than any other holiday, even Sukkot to a certain degree, this issue of the land uh, and the word. See, uh, the land and the word. Uh, when you look in the Bible, uh, in Leviticus chapter 23, uh, which is one place where we read about this holiday. We read here in verse 15 of uh, Leviticus 23, You shall also count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering, there shall be seven complete Sabbaths. Remember, we did that. The day after our second Seder, it happened to be a Sunday this particular year, uh, we gathered here for a special service called Yom Habikurim, right? That was the beginning of the counting of the Omer, okay? You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. Now, we know what kind of grain offering that was. Uh, historically speaking, it was a wheat offering. The early one was a barley harvest. This was wheat. Verse 17, you shall bring in from your dwelling places two loaves of bread for a wave offering, 
made of two tenths of an ephah, they shall be a fine flour baked with leaven as first fruits uh, to the Lord. And then it does talk about a variety of, uh, of different, uh, different offerings. Okay? All right. So uh, on that day, if you count that 50 days, that is Shavuot, the sixth day of the Hebrew month of Sivan, uh, which is what tonight begins. All right? Uh, and uh, uh, originally we see, okay, it was a wheat harvest. Well, most Jews today are not farmers. Now, in Eretz Israel, that is not the case. Certainly, boy, when I was there in February, I, I was staying with farmers, you know? Uh, so, but for most, frankly, most Jews in the diaspora, and certainly in the United States, this young lady's experience is the norm. You know, uh, equating, uh, a Jewish, uh, equating Judaism with Jewish identity, not covenantal responsibility, see, but Jewish identity uh, and um, uh, social justice uh, and probably, uh, you know, Zionism as well, you know, the land of Israel, okay? Uh, and, but all that has to do with identity, see? And so uh, real, where we really lose, in a sense, the agrarian nature uh, of, uh, of this holiday. And so since that is the primary uh, meaning of the holiday, uh, we try to remember. That's why we plant flowers, for example. Uh, and probably we should be eating wheat bread on this holiday, uh, one, one would think, uh, you know, rather than um, uh, uh, blintzes. I don't know. But, but uh, anyway... Uh, uh, we kind of lose that agrarian, uh, that agrarian nature. So over time, especially uh, after the uh, destruction of the uh, temple, but not necessarily. Uh, we, we, you know, there's in, in the Jewish world, in the rabbinic Jewish world, you have to understand that after the close of the canon of the Hebrew Scriptures, the, the, what we commonly refer to as the Old Testament. That was about 400 B.C. or B.C.E., before the Common Era, 400 years before the Messiah, okay? There's no uh, text. It's, it's like there's a big black hole all the way until 200 A.D. So, okay, that, that is like the entire Second Temple period, all right? Okay, so when you read uh, in 200 A.D., what is written down is called the Mishnah. And the Mishnah is a series, not all, but a series of uh, uh, teachings uh, from the, the proto-rabbis, the rabbis, we'll just call them, okay? Uh, not all the teachings, but a series of them, and it's codified and, and so on. But here's the thing. So when you read something that was written down in 200 AD, it doesn't mean that that's when it came to be. That's just when it's written down. So we don't know exactly when the historical meaning was given to Shavuot. We don't know, okay? Uh, and that historical meaning is the receiving of the Torah at Sinai. As far as I, I could possibly be, it could go way, way back, all the way back to the time of Ezra, nobody knows, or all the way to the uh, destruction of the, um, of the temple. Uh, but it is fascinating because when you think about it, uh, Passover is when we celebrate and remember the exodus out of Egypt. And so it took approximately two months to get to Sinai. 
So it could very well be that on this uh, holiday of Shavuot, 50 days later, that Moses received the Torah. We, we don't know that. Uh, but that is the historical meaning uh, given to the text, that Moses uh, received the, uh, the Torah uh, at, uh, at Sinai. And so, uh, on Shavuot, what do we do? We recite the Ten Commandments. Tonight we'll be doing it. We're going to recite the Ten Commandments. Uh, and so that is a very important uh, part of the celebration of Shavuot. And then there is a particular Shavuot anthology that traditionally is studied uh, all night. Uh, and so that is also in relationship to the receiving of the, of the Torah. So what we're going to do this evening is uh, we're going to have our service at 730 uh, and then uh, just before 9, the service will end, and we're going to have some uh, refreshments. And then uh, from 9 to 11, or uh, whenever Henry decides it's over, uh, as Yogi Berra would say, then it'll be over. It'll be over when it's over, right? Uh, so tonight, uh, Henry Goulet will be uh, leading a discussion, a teaching-slash-discussion, on all the different aspects uh, of uh, Shavuot, uh, and that'll begin at 9 o'clock. Uh, this evening uh, here. So I hope that uh, you can come for all or part uh, of, um, of this celebration because as a Messianic Jewish community, it most certainly is uh, very important uh, uh, to us. The whole thing, uh, whether we're talking about the land itself uh, or we are talking about the, uh, the, uh, the receiving of the Torah, I particularly found it interesting in this uh, article that uh, what uh, Sarah Marks comes to see is that believing in the God of Israel uh, is very practical and real. Not just, it's not theory. It doesn't exist just in our minds. And the reality is, is that for many of us, uh, our faith is a, a internal without enough external uh, proactive, proactive activity, okay? Because uh, we are oftentimes raised spiritually as Messiah followers with ingrained in us a truth, but we take it over the top. And that is, we are saved not by works, but by the grace of God. That's true. Absolutely 100% true. Uh, there's nothing that we do to earn the relationship with God that we have. You can't say enough uh, particular prayers or go to enough services or do enough good deeds or uh, you know, obey the Torah, cross every T, dot every I. Nothing we can do uh, gives us the ticket, so to speak. You know what I mean? It comes from the faithfulness of God. However, however, uh, the fact remains that we are to bear fruit of, of uh, a way of life, that believing is a way of life, and that it's, you can't compartmentalize it. You can't compartmentalize uh, what I believe and how I live. That is what we do. We, we do you say, of course we do, but it's not right. And you don't read it anywhere in the Bible, whether we're talking about the uh, Tanakh or the Brit Chadashah, okay? 
And that's very, very important. Uh, and so what she figured out through this uh, avenue of farming is that there's something very physical, tactile, um, something uh, that really uh, uh, does bring light to this world in a very physical way when we trust in the God of Israel and from our messianic point of view in, in, uh, in Yeshua, you see. Uh, and so this began, if you go back, uh, I won't turn to all the passages right now, but if you go back to Exodus when uh, God brought us out of Egypt, that was the redemption. That was the beginning, one might say. See, that was the beginning of the redemption of this world. We usually don't think in those terms. We compartmentalize everything, right? But when we look at the whole big scheme of things, when God redeemed the Jewish people out of Egypt, it wasn't just God redeeming the Jewish people out of Egypt. This was the beginning of a long-term plan of a new heaven and a new earth, all the way back in Exodus uh, uh, chapter 12. And, I, and if you were going to press me, it could go farther back. But, but we see this redemption of the Jewish people out of Egypt. When the Jewish people are redeemed out of Egypt, they go to Sinai. And at Sinai, we receive the Torah. The Torah is not just a bunch of rules and regulations. In fact, I would go so far as to say it is not a bunch of rules and regulations. It describes a particular way of life that can be summed up in love the Lord your God with, with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, as the great sage of Israel, Yeshua, said. Okay? Uh, and uh, when you read all those rules and regulations that we call rules and regulations, it's all about a way of approaching God and a way of interacting uh, with, other, with other people. And when you read uh, summaries of it, like in Psalm 15 and Psalm 24 and Psalm 119, it's all about ethics and morals and basically approaching God with an attitude and way of life of holiness. Okay? Uh, and, uh, and so when that is given, this is the way of life that Israel was supposed to depict uh, so that they would serve uh, as image bearers of God. Because the Torah is a description, uh, a mirror image of uh, the character and nature of God. And that's what Israel was called to exhibit to this world. And God brought them to a place, to Eretz Yisrael, to the land of Israel. And this was to be the place where this, this would be a showcase, an exhibition of what it means to live in a renewed and restored world. That was the whole idea, see? Uh, now, we know, if you turn, one place we can turn right now is to Deuteronomy chapter 29. What? Why would we turn there? You know, I, I don't see that. I didn't see that on uh, all the internet websites on Shavuot I looked at, right? How come I don't see that? Well, something very interesting takes place uh, in this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 29. Okay, Deuteronomy 29 takes place, we'll say, after everything has been said and done. Okay, this is like the end of the wilderness wanderings. The end of the wilderness wanderings. Moses. Uh, by observation, understands something very important. And he says 
in verse 4, he's seen it all. And then in verse 4, he says, Yet to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to know, nor eyes to see, nor ears to hear. So in other words, he brought us out of Egypt. He redeemed us with an outstretched arm and with wonders and power. And he gave us the Torah and he brought us here. But what he hasn't given all of you or all of us is the empowerment to live this way. See? And hence you have basically the rest of the Bible. You have uh, the trials and tribulations of the Jewish people going into the land, not taking the whole land, uh, falling, uh, you know, fighting idolatry at every turn. Uh, uh, and then we see uh, the rising up of kings and, uh, and, the, and none of them measure up. And, uh, and then the people end up going into captivity and, and everything else. And, and there's great promises that are given to the people that, that one day you're going to return from the four corners of the earth one day, you know, the lion's going to lay down with the lamb, uh, or the wolf is going to lay down with the lamb, really. Uh, the day is going to come when, you're, when uh, everybody's going to get along, when uh, the Spirit of God will uh, cover the face of the earth, uh, and all of those great things. We read that in the book of Joel, we read in the book of Isaiah, all of it. We read about the new heaven and new earth in Isaiah, we read about the pouring out of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Spirit of God in Joel. Uh, all those uh, uh, great things, right? All right, so when God gave the Torah to us at Sinai, this was supposed to be it, right? This is the way of life, uh, the vision, one might say, for a restored world. But we know, as we said, it didn't exactly work out that way. Well, if you turn to Acts chapter 2 in the Brit Chadashah, New Covenant, this takes place, one might say, after everything has been said and done. It's as if Moses is again standing you know, on the plains of Moab and, and uh, you know, uh, they were redeemed out of Egypt. They're given the Torah and 40 years in the wilderness. And then he says, God has not given you a heart to understand, eyes to see, ears to hear. Well, when you come to the second chapter of Acts, Yeshua has come. He gave wonderful teachings. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. He ascended already uh, 10 days earlier uh, uh, to the right hand of uh, the Father. And we see that it's Shavuos. It's Shavuot. And when the day of Pentecost, that's, a, uh, that's Shavuot, 50 days, had come, they were all together in one place. Let me just read this little part. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Ruach HaKodesh and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. That's a very important verse here. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were bewildered because they were each one hearing them speak in his own language or in his own tongue. That's what it means, language. And they were amazed and marveled, saying, Why are not all who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear them in our own language uh, in which we were born? And then it goes on to name a bunch of places. All right? This is very important because... 
You know, nothing happens accidentally uh, with uh, a God. Why is it that this takes place uh, on uh, Shavuot? Perhaps it is indeed because it is the anniversary of the receiving of the Torah. Perhaps it is because when uh, God gave the Torah, Israel, this was like the marching orders. Israel was redeemed out of Egypt and now given a way of life uh, to demonstrate to this world. And now we see what takes place is the Ruach HaKodesh is poured out. And notice not only the day, but who. You have here, now it says in verse 5, now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under, uh, every nation under heaven. Okay? And then there's a description. Basically, what you see a picture of is the Spirit of God is poured out, and there are present in Jerusalem Jews from the north, the south, the east, and the west, from all different places gathered together as one. And by the way, not all Jerusalem Jews. By the way, that means, according to uh, where the Jewish people are believed to have gone, there were people from all 12 tribes. You're welcome. All right, good. All right? In other words, the whole story of a lost 10 tribes is what we call a Bubba Miser. An old wives' tale. It's an old wives' tale. There's no lost tribes. Yes, there are. That there. Yes, there are Jewish people that, um, through the years of history and wars and things, have lost their personal identity. But it's not true uh, that uh, you know people come to faith in Yeshua and decide they're from the tribe of Issachar or something like that. That's. I mean. God does not want us to throw our minds out, you know, when we come to faith in the Lord. I hate to say that, but it's true, all right? So here in Acts chapter 2, there are representatives of 12 tribes, all called Israel, all right? Now, this is, uh, again, very important. Now, when you continue to read here, it talks about the fact uh, that they were all together in one place, if you, if you um, look at the end of chapter 2, it describes how they were in one place and their possessions and how, what they were doing. And we're going to talk more about that this evening. But it's very important for us to uh, get here that Shavuot is the beginning, historically speaking, uh, in the Brit Hadashah, in the New Covenant, it is the beginning of the restoration of Israel. That's what's happening on, in Acts chapter 2. It's the beginning of the restoration of Israel. When you come to Acts chapter 10, that is where we begin to read specifically of Gentiles believing the same thing. So when we say that Acts chapter 2 is like the beginning of the church, it's more, it's truer to say it is really the beginning of the restoration of Israel. And as the book of Acts unfolds, you begin to see the, uh, the scandal of Gentiles believing the same thing, yet not having to become Jewish. I mean, I could teach through the whole book of Acts, and we'd see that in chapter 13, especially also, as well as in uh, chapter 10 and other places. And Luke, by the way, uses, uh, he uses, uh, he writes this in a particular way uh, to bring that out. Okay, but that's an 
another story for another day, okay? Um, but, so what we see here is, on Shavuot, we have the beginning of the restoration of Israel, and we could say, therefore, leading to the restoration of the, of the nations, uh, by the pouring out of the Ruach HaKodesh. What happens on Shavuot is that now we are empowered to live this life. We're empowered to live the uh, Torah-centered way of life, you know? And, uh, and so therefore, that's why you want to come back tonight. That's why we want to observe this holiday, because we do relate it to the land of Israel uh, as the holy land, as the place uh, uh, in Jerusalem especially, uh, where the Messiah will indeed uh, return, uh, and where uh, Israel will dwell and all the nations will come and learn the Torah. But it does say in Ezekiel chapter 36, just the very last thing here, there's a great messianic prophecy about the new covenant. And that's basically what's happening in Acts chapter 2. The pouring out of the Ruach HaKodesh is the inauguration of the new covenant. Okay? Notice it says in Ezekiel chapter 36, he says in verse 24, For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. And you will live in the land that I gave you, that I gave to your forefathers. So you will be my people and I will be your God. And so there you see this amalgamation, this marriage of the land and the spirit, we might say. That uh, God says the day is going to come when I'll bring you into the land and I'll pour my, and, I'll, and I will give you my spirit. But notice the result of that. It says here, uh, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. And so what happens with the pouring out of the Ruach HaKodesh is that now we are enabled to live the Torah way of life. Not a legalistic way of life, but the Torah way of life. You know, and that means different things to different people. It means certain things to Jewish people. It means certain things to people who are not Jewish, but a godly life. And as you know, if you've taken an MSI course in just about anything, uh, or you've been coming here long enough, you know that when Yeshua teaches the Sermon on the Mount, when Paul teaches Ephesians, or Colossians, or Philippians, or First and Second Timothy when he's talking to him, or First and Second Thessalonians, what he's teaching is a Torah way of life, which is morals and ethics. The, that way of life is what we are called to demonstrate. It starts all the way back with Moses. And he empowers us to do that via the Ruach HaKodesh. And so that is the, that is the mark of knowing the Messiah, is the presence of the Spirit in your life, demonstrated by the way we live, not just by the way we think or what's deep inside our heart, but demonstrated by, uh, indeed, the way we live. And so on Shavuot, we remember this, this great day. We remember the inauguration of the new covenant. We remember the, the, um, now the, the unity of uh, Jew and Gentile. The, we remember the, uh, the, the uh, sense of unity even among the northern and southern uh, kingdoms of Israel. Twelve tribes gathered together in one place. We remember our calling to be witnesses 
That's why it says at the beginning of the book of Acts, ye shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth because it comes from Isaiah. That is the calling of Israel. And so what Luke is demonstrating in the way he writes Acts is, is that when the Spirit is poured out, Israel begins to finally fulfill this calling of being witnesses, uh, of living out this way of life and demonstrating it to the Gentile world. And the result is, as we see it unfold in the book of Acts, that Gentiles come to believe the same way. And, uh, but not having to become Jews, not having to become circumcised, not having to, to um, uh, live out all of the rituals uh, of, uh, of Jewish identification, but still part of that commonwealth of Israel uh, living out as is demonstrated by the teachings of Yeshua and Paul especially, the morals and ethics of Torah. And so that's why we celebrate Shavuot. It is a, it is a very important holiday uh, for us. And tonight we will indeed be... Um, uh, uh, in the message, I'm going to talk about our response to Shavuot as is demonstrated at the very end of Acts chapter 2. It says a few different things about what the people did as a response. Uh, after they saw all this and heard Peter's preaching, what did they do? And so we're going to talk about that this evening. Uh, and then uh, Henry will uh, lead us in a, a discussion of all of the different uh, nooks and crannies of this holiday, of which there are many uh, and many applications. So I hope that you will uh, uh, join us uh, this evening as we also count the 50th day of the Omer, the whole thing. Uh, and isn't it wonderful that we can live in a day when uh, we can uh, appreciate this and we can celebrate this and we can remember, as it were, our own salvation of coming to faith in Messiah, embracing Yeshua, receiving the Ruach HaKodesh, and being empowered to live that life. What a great day it is. And so let us pray. Lord God, we thank you. Uh, God, for this um, uh, opportunity of celebration and observance. Lord, thank you, God, that you did not um, uh, leave us uh, to our own ways, but just as Moses observed, Lord, we needed something more. And thank you, Lord, that in your time, uh, through the Messiah of Israel, you gave us something more, and that is uh, the, uh, the empowerment to live and to demonstrate what it means to know Messiah. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us meaning and purpose in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that we understand this calling to walk in a manner worthy of, our, uh, of this calling, Lord. And may we do so. Lord, we thank you for the Ruach HaKodesh, who uh, has always, uh, uh, always uh, been in this world, Lord, uh, but uh, uh, began a ministry of permanent indwelling when, uh, after the resurrection of, uh, of Yeshua. Lord, and we do indeed thank you. So we thank you for Shavuot. We thank you for this feast. We thank you, Lord, for the offering uh, of the harvest. We thank you, Lord, for the offering of the Torah. We thank you, Lord, for the receiving of the Ruach HaKodesh and the offering of our own lives unto you. And we pray in Messiah's name. Amen.